Well, Jill Rutter is a senior research fellow at the UK in a changing Europe think tank and she joins me now. Good evening. Good evening, Rochella. Jill Rutter, what have we learnt from these documents today? Well, we haven't really learnt very much more than we already knew. What these do is put the sort of you know long extended legal flesh on the bones of what the UK had said it was looking for in a white paper it published back in February. So this gives much, much more detail of what the UK wants. So there's some big chunks that are still left blank. Uh, but basically, it's putting sort of, you know, more big text around uh, around what were quite skinny proposals when the UK published them back in February. And in terms of the tone, what do you make of the accompanying letter that we've had from the UK's chief Brexit negotiator, David Frost? He said it was perplexing the EU was insisting on additional unbalanced and unprecedented revisions in a range of areas as a precondition for agreement between us. So I think the fact that the UK has published these documents finally and allowed the EU to share them with member states is going to be welcomed on all sides. Michel Barnier put out a tweet welcoming the fact that they now had some documents to work from because before the UK had had given them over to the EU for the last negotiating round but not allowed the EU to share them. So that I think is a good move. But the rest of David Frost's letter is really quite interesting because it's a bit sort of, it sounds very wounded. Um, It's all arguing, and the UK has based much of this on the fact that uh, the UK has gone through previous EU trade deals and picked the bits it likes from them. In a few areas, it's added a bit in. But basically, David Frost's letter is saying to Michel Barnier, Look, you know, you're being so unfair. This is unreasonable. Look what you offered Canada. Look what you offered Mexico. You gave this to Japan. And what about this with Chile? Things like that. So the whole thing just has this tone of unfairness. It's sort of like a, a bit like a sort of school debating letter, which might win an argument, might win an argument in a court of law where people have to appeal to precedent. But international trade negotiations aren't like that. What it doesn't do is set out why the EU should particularly agree to these proposals from the UK. I think that's what's missing. But it wouldn't the other way of looking at that be simply to say, well, look, this is a point, a critical point in the negotiations. Both sides are going to dig their heels in and, and fight for what they can get. And I think that would have been fine if the UK had just published a text. It's publishing that letter on top of it, which seems to be sort of you know, more interesting because you know, you're right that these texts basically say this is the UK position. This is what it looks like. What you might have imagined since the UK's position is that publishing these texts allows, gives some reassurance to EU member states that you know actually they can accept what the UK is offering. So we don't have to go as far as the EU wants, for example, on something like, you know, these level playing field provisions we talk a lot about, you know, that the UK won't undercut EU's environmental or social standards, or that the UK will, you know, not massively subsidise British businesses in a way that makes it impossible for EU businesses to compete with them. You could have imagined that you could have had a letter accompanying that gave the EU more assurances rather than just said, well, actually, you shouldn't be asking for these sorts of things that you want because you didn't ask Canada for them. And actually, your trade commissioner said what Canada had was quite a robust set of provisions anyway. So we'll have those too. So I'm just not sure that the letter helped him convince anyone. But maybe David Frost is setting himself up as a sort of bad cop here. In some ways, though, it looks as though he's more setting it up uh, to appeal to a sort of domestic audience of saying, actually, 
the EU was never really interested in giving the UK a fair deal. And this is why we've walked away. So you could regard that letter as setting up a UK walkout so, rather than progressing the negotiations. So you don't seem particularly optimistic about what you've seen today and, and the progress that might come from it. I think UK and Changing Europe's also been doing a bit of a survey on what other social scientists think. Yes, we did. So we published today what we call our Brexit policy panel. Uh, and actually, it was quite interesting. Um, what was quite interesting Just was the that you know, they, they ask 100 social scientists what they think is going to happen. Uh, these people predicted rightly last year that we wouldn't leave on the 31st of October. So this time what they're saying is uh, they actually mostly, 53%, expect a transition extension, which ah. is quite interesting because the government said absolutely no to that. So they're thinking the government might change its mind. Uh, maybe a bit later on in the okay. year if they can find a way legally of doing it. Um, but they think if there isn't an extension, then 71%, and that's the biggest number in the survey, 71% of them think it'll be no deal. Interesting stuff. Jill Rutter, thank you very much indeed.